We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Welcome today's, uh, to today's EdWeb webinar, um, The Key Ingredients of Effective High-Impact Online Tutoring. Today, we've got Yanai Siegel and Dan Tracy. I'll introduce them in just a few moments. I guess I should introduce myself. My name is B. Crawford. I am with uh, Mind Education. Um, we have a product called ST Math. Um, and a little bit um, about us before we get started. So ST Math is partnered with VIP Teacher um, to bring you high uh, impact online uh, tutoring. Uh, we've partnered to accelerate student learning through high impact grade level state certified teachers. Um, and this gives students greater access to build and demonstrate a strong conceptual understanding of mathematical concepts through lessons that leverage ST Mass visual instructional programs within the VIP teacher online tutoring platform. So if you're interested in learning more about us and that partnership, here is our website, some of our social channels, um, and our hashtags. All right. Now to the good stuff. Uh, we have two fantastic speakers today who are ready to drop some knowledge on this subject. So I will uh, pass it over and let these guys introduce themselves, uh, Yanai Siegel and Dan Tracy. Go ahead, Yanai. Nice to meet everyone. Excited to be here and talking with you. Um, I am the Director of Global Partnerships for VIP Teacher. I've been working with uh, STMath, Dan and B from uh, the beginning of our partnership and uh, really excited to talk to you all today. Um, I oversee all of our efforts in the high dosage, high impact tutoring. And prior to this, I worked uh, mostly in ed tech, uh, before this at PhotoMath and before that at uh, Learn with Homer or Begin Education. And I started my career in the classroom teaching uh, middle school special education. So um, have a lot of respect for all the teachers on the call today. And I'm Dan Tracy. Uh, if this webinar goes great, uh, follow me on Twitter. If it doesn't go that great, uh, you can talk to Yanai. He's, he's the guy that put it together. Yeah. Uh, I've been, I'm uh, the Director of Math Innovation at Mind Research Institute has now become Mind Education. Uh, the creators of ST Math. I've been with the organization for well over a decade now, and just kind of really poking at how do we get students all across the nation from all different demographics beyond proficiency in math. And so we're kind of excited for this partnership with VIP Teacher to really drive that uh, home. Uh, Yanai and I met a couple months ago and, and we kind of had this collective vision of how do we improve math learning by utilizing tutoring. And so we kind of started marching down this road, dove into a lot of research around what is going to be most effective and kind of crafted a program around that. And we're going to kind of explain what high impact tutoring is and then kind of our take as a partnership on that and how that 
is going to be an, a deeply impactful thing for school districts across the nation. So uh, when we think about the tutoring landscape, what we've seen is essentially uh, this, this journey that almost the entire education landscape has been on around tutoring for long before COVID even started. So the journey is this idea of awareness, consideration, and then decision-making. And so as students start, or as school districts started to realize, wow, there's a, there's a increased need for a tutoring solution. Um, they started asking questions like, well, what is the best tutoring solution? How can we do it? And what are the tools that we need? And then as they've said, okay, now let's consider actually doing this. School districts are now clearly defining what the problem is. And the interesting thing about as we've had these discussions with school districts is that it's not just a COVID problem. Like anyone from outside the education space goes, oh, there's, we got to do catch up from COVID. But the reality is uh, math scores have been dropping over the years. And we know that this is going to be a solution that is going to have a long-term impact. And so many districts and even states are bracing for how do we create tutoring as part of the normal school and district interaction with our students. And then as they start making decisions, they're deciding like what is the correct tutoring solution for us? And districts are kind of uh, allocating budget for to to invest in this long term, and we've seen that at the state level. So if you're kind of in the educational news, you'll realize that Tennessee has invested lots of money and resources into making this a long term uh, solution that's happening in perpetuity year over year. Uh, and Illinois is marching down that same exact road, and so. This is not something that's going to go away. So we should be asking really meaningful questions around what is tutoring and what is going to be the most impactful. Uh, and one of the organizations that's doing that is the National Student Support Accelerator. And so this organization has really kind of taken all the research and put it in one space and started just promoting these, this idea of high impact tutoring. And so the way that they're going to divine, define high impact tutoring is as you see on the screen, substantial time each week uh, of required tutoring, sustained and strong relationships between students and their tutors, uh, cl close monitoring of student knowledge and skills, alignment to the school curriculum and oversight of tutor tutors to assure quality interaction. So that's kind of how they're defining it. And we're going to unpack that uh, bit by bit. And so, yeah, um, I think to Sorry, and to add on to what Dan is saying, uh, especially as it relates to uh, what the National Student Support Accelerator has defined as tutoring, as well as right when a school is in that decision-making process, um, I think all the research has shown that high-dosage tutoring is successful. And there are many ways to implement that within a classroom, within a district, but uh, there's been a lot of research and it has shown that having a teacher, having that direct relationship uh, with students on, you know, uh, multiple times a week and in small groups has really made a, a difference in their uh, in their learning and in their um, uh, their test scores. And so, um, you know, there are different ways to do that, whether it is in person, online. Um, right there's and and a lot of this conversation now is in regards to ESSER funds um, and 
as Dan mentioned, right, the reaction to COVID. But this has been a proven successful way to um, use, uh, to make an impact in the classroom from uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah, and we're going to really kind of unpack, like, okay, what does that mean? And what could that look like? So Yanai with VIP Teacher has been kind of doing this for years, and they've got a lot of expertise on what is it, what is a tutor in a student interaction supposed to look like, and what is it going to be the most meaningful? So um, again, the National Student Support Accelerator, they had this great visual that we're just going to utilize, because I think it, it, they did a great job of synthesizing all of the research that's out there and kind of putting it into these kind of uh, picture spaces. So um, the first thing is the the tutor themselves. And so Yanai is really going to kind of own this, but there's different um, versions of tutor and there's, and there's all these different models. So what I would say is the most basic is to recruit an adult, whether it's a college student or a working adult to come be a tutor. And then the next version of that would be an, an actual trained adult, an adult that has gone through some version of training to, to be a tutor. And then the last and what I would say best would be actually a certified teacher that's tutoring. And so um, one of the things that they're really in, uh, pushing is this idea of this consistent tutor, that the tutor is matched and paired with the student for the duration of the tutoring that they receive. And so you and I, can you speak a little bit to that idea of like pairing tutors and what difference that makes in the the, the students' outcomes? Yeah, um, and I think that that's one of the the main facets of successful tutoring, right? Is is creating that relationship between the students and the teacher uh, who is overseeing the tutoring, and that only happens by having a consistent teacher throughout the program. So as Dan mentioned, right, a lot of the programs could be three times a week uh, over 10, 15 weeks, and you have 45 sessions. Not only do you want the student to get to know that teacher and become comfortable with them, because that might take a few sessions, but you want the teacher to understand those students, see where they're growing, where uh, they're challenged, and then provide that feedback to uh, the school teacher or the administrator, whoever the uh, whoever is getting that data back. And so having that strong connection is really important. And I think it goes beyond certified teacher, right? Um, certified teachers are obviously are, are kind of like a, a common refrain now in tutoring, but you also want teachers that are um, adapt, at, adapt at using technology. So our teachers have taught over 200 million classes and have reached over 1.3 uh, million students. Um, and so they're familiar with the virtual classroom, with uh, even in-person and using different models to engage with students. Uh, sometimes right, you could have a certified teacher who is used to 20 kids in front of them, but then in a virtual setting, it might be a little bit tougher. Um, the, the other thing is, um, having those specialized teachers that can uh, connect with different students. So um, whether that's male and female teachers, whether that's 
uh, specific to a, a region, right? Making sure they're culturally sensitive to that region um, or that they speak the language of the students. So we just had this in a, in a school uh, with ST Math where we needed a one-on-one -on -one Spanish teacher with the student because they were not able to, uh, you know, really understand as part of the group uh, in a group setting. And so we provided them with a, a single teacher that could work with them. Um, and then they gain that relationship, which we said is so important. Um, and that that is across languages. We were just looking at how many teachers we have that speak uh, Farsi and Urdu for certain programs, um, special education. You wanna make sure that your, uh, your teacher is able to connect to the students and the students are able to connect to them. Um, and that makes a, a large difference throughout the program. Um, and I think you you see that kind of relationship grow uh, throughout in that when we see renewals or we continue programming uh, several sessions, we are asked uh, by the school, by the district, by the teachers, hey, can we have uh, teacher Susie again or teacher Amy because they saw uh, how excited their students were to work with that uh, with that tutor. And can you talk a little bit, so you have this large subset of multilingual teachers. How did you guys create that and how many total teachers that are certified in, in the United States do you have? Yeah, so we have a network of uh, 70,000 teachers and um, so very, very large. We um, initially really focused on international ELL, so teaching students internationally English, and we built a, a, lar a large teacher core, uh, over 200,000 teachers at one point um, that were helping teaching these classes, uh, around 200,000 classes a day. And we were able to uh, take that classroom, take those teachers um, as we saw the need in US-based classrooms, partner with an amazing company and curriculum like ST Math and bring that to students here in the US. Um, and, you know, so it's, um, and for our teachers then, right, we wanna make sure that they're skilled in the ST math uh, content and how to teach that. And we'll show a video a little bit later of one of our teachers um, overseeing that process. And uh, so they, our teachers will go through professional development. They will go through both live workshops, asynchronous um, classes, uh, really understand their curriculum, take an assessment, and once they've gone through that, they will start teaching those classes so that they're you know, really engaged and understanding the ST Math content. Um, and then, you know, because, and then our teachers are just amazing. We've created, they've created a really strong community of sharing with each other the resources, the best practices, um, and they share that we work with mentor teachers to kind of help newer teachers. And so we've put a system in place that um, as programs grow and as we bring on more teachers to a new program, they can really support each other. Um, and, but, you know, in terms of finding the right teacher for the right program, when you have 70,000 teachers, it's kind of a, a good problem to have in that you, uh, either survey your teachers or find out from them 
what their expertise is, whether it's subject matter expertise or whether it's what languages they speak. And then we d directly reach out to them when we need uh, you know, a specific support. And how is that different from other models that you see in the market? Yeah, great question. Um, I think, you know, there's a few different models you see. One is on demand. And I think I saw somebody ask about TutorMe, which um, is, is a great program. But on demand, uh, we see it more as um, homework help or, um, you know, I have an issue right now where I don't understand a math problem or I'm having issues with my science, understanding it, how I'm going to connect with a tutor and ask for help immediately. You're not going to gain that relationship with them. And you're not going to maybe understand the fundamentals of what you didn't understand. You're going to understand, you're going to get help with the problem at hand. Um, and from a macro point of view, we're in the industry, right? The usage rates of on-demand tutoring are pretty low, right? They're less than 10% of actual students are using those programs like a paper um, that are out there, um, but they definitely have their role. And I think uh, better to get support from a, uh, a live person than going to Google or asking Alexa or ChatGBT for support. Um, the other model we see a lot of times is in-person, and this is getting more and more popular. Um, I think the issue you see there is definitely in terms of supply. So you will not necessarily be able to get your certified teacher um, teaching in the classroom um, because they're probably working in the school at that time. Whereas when you have different time zones, right, a US, an East Coast teacher can teach on the West Coast during school or in an after school program just because of the time zone. So the in-person mostly relies on a um, you know, adults that they're training or college or graduate students. I think one of the issues you see there is just teacher quality and how um, how much training they have within the um, education sphere. The other is attendance. So if your in-person tutor does not show up, you're going to miss that lesson. Whereas, you know, things do come up where one of our tutors is not going to be there, but we have a um, a feature, a substitution feature where we have substitutes uh, awaiting and, and waiting in the classroom in case the teacher does not show up for any reason um, and they will jump into the class within two minutes. And so that allows right the classes to always go on. We have around a 98% attendance rate with um, in, in overall, I think with ST Math we're at 100% of, of attendance of, of teachers coming, whether it's the main teacher or the substitute teacher. So, um, you know, they all, obviously, you know, then you're also working on in-person, you have a lot to uh, manage in terms of bringing different people into the building, the space for them, how you're dividing the classroom. Um, so there's, uh, a lot of different models right now, and I think districts are trying things out. We've seen a lot of success. As students are definitely um, used to Zoom school now, post you know from the pandemic, that we've seen a lot of success with virtual tutoring. It allows for more innovative models in our mind. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we, we've uh, definitely think, well, I would, I should say the research has shown success in all models. Um, however, I think the most, um, the, the best model we've seen is the certified teacher in a remote setting working with students in, in school or after school. And Dan will talk about that a little bit more. Um, and, you know, also bringing the best curriculum to the students, right? I think we give a lot of credit to our teachers. You need to match that with the right content. Um, and, you know, that's why we're so excited about our partnership with STMAP. Awesome. So the next component is this idea of data. And uh, so there's data, just general, like, oh, we got a bunch of data. Then there's quantitative data. But then, like, what I would say is the gold standard inside of a tutoring space is quantitative and qualitative data. And so data informs tutoring sessions uh, in classroom instruction. So this is kind of where I would say we differ a little bit from the NSSA in ideology. And so there's this uh, large movement that happened around data where it was like, oh, we got to have data-driven instruction. Um, and that's an interesting idea that you're going to get data from a student and you're going to take that data and you're going to alter curriculum or alter uh, choices that you're making in the classroom based on that data. And the reason I find that interesting, and this is just an anecdotal story, but everyone has one of these anecdotal students where, so I've got a, I've got a preschooler in a Montessori school and I love math. So I'm going to teach my kid math. So every single day I'm working with numbers and adding and counting with my little boy uh, and we have a parent-teacher conference, and the parents or the teachers, they tell me they're like, "Well, Dan, I'm I'm a little nervous for your boy. Uh, he doesn't recognize his numbers, and, and he's having a hard time counting." And I go, "Well, that's interesting." And then I point to the number twenty, and he goes, "That's 20. And then I point to the number seven, he goes, "That's seven. And then I point to the number nine, and he goes, "That's nine. But if you flip it upside down, it could be a six. And so this is coming from preschool. So they administered a test to our student, but the test didn't take into account that my boy is shy. And likewise, I guarantee you, everyone has a story of a kid who's taking a test and they see a butterfly out the window and they just perform very poorly. So when we think about data at the school, it should be used at this, at this overarching district and state level to inform decisions that are being made around curriculum, what is working and what is work, not working. But at the classroom level, we should rely on teachers and the human interaction that they're having with their students. And the curriculum companies like us at Mind Research Institute, we should take our big data sets the size of the moon and build curriculum that works and use that and not put the onus of changing the curriculum on the teacher. That is an unmanageable task. And we don't want to do that. So one of the things that we're doing with this partnership with VIP is we're taking that onus off of the teacher and saying and actually giving them information back. So what we're seeing is a lot in the tutoring, you have the pre-assessment and the post-assessment. So you have, um, you know, what is uh, how just data on how the student performed over the life of the program, the 10, 15 weeks. But 
you know, how is that coming back into the classroom and creating a feedback loop with the classroom teacher or with the um, paraprofessional that's working with the student? So we really want to focus on continued feedback and provide um, that information, that qualitative and quantitative data, as Dan mentioned, on a session by session basis. So how did that student um, perform? How did they engage during the um, during the you know 30, 45 minutes that they were with the teacher on that day? Yeah. So just kind of an analogy to wrap your head around what we're talking about is the airlines don't go to a pilot and say, hey, you need to increase the fuel efficiency of the plane. They don't do that. They say, Boeing, Airbus, you need to increase the fuel efficiency of your engines that you're putting on these planes because it matters to us as an airline. And as a pilot, they can make micro adjustments that slightly improve the, the fuel efficiency based on how they fly. But the onus of responsibility, the overwhelming responsibility is on the makers of the airplane, not on the, those individuals flying it. So to ask the teachers in the classroom to be the ones to make these major adjustments is really an interesting concept when that's not their training. And so one of, what I'm displaying here is actually the formal feedback that we or the informal feedback that we're getting from the VIP teachers around the curriculum that we provide back to the classroom teacher that they can now use their human intuition to say, oh, well, that's an interesting insight. I didn't see that in my kid or I did see that that actually marries with what I've seen in the classroom. And so now we can actually use these insights that are human insights and actually apply them to the to the teaching space. So this is really important. This is a completely different concept, and we want to really champion this idea uh, across the educational space because it's different, and it's probably the most meaningful thing that we're going to do and we're going to continue to do as we adjust the program because not only does this provide insights to you as the teacher, we can also say, wow, what we've noticed is they didn't hit the objective on the first two lessons every single time. How can we adjust those lessons now to do a better job? And so this is really what we're after when we talk about data is actually saying, how do we let humans be humans and let the, the companies that build curriculum make better curriculum? And that's really what we're after when we talk about data. Um, so going back to this, uh, so we believe that the, the data should actually inform the humans teaching the students to give them better insights. Um, and the curriculum should be adjusted by the curriculum provider to do a better and better job. Um, so then the next part of this is the, the actual instructional material. Uh, and this is going to be really pivotal uh, when we talk about designing models that are going to be the most impactful for students. So if you've ever tried to change the oil in your car, you know that if you don't have an oil wrench, it is very difficult. But if you have an oral wrench, it's actually very easy. I can do it in like 10 minutes. So we want to have the right tools for the job. So oftentimes when we think about curriculum, we want high quality instructional material, but we want it to be designed for the use case. So you might have a curriculum in the classroom, but that curriculum might not be designed to be used in a tutoring space in a 30 minute setting or a 45 minute setting. So we want to actually design the curriculum 
for the use case. So one of the things that's significantly different and we're trying to change the mentality is if you're going to tutor, tutor with a tutoring curriculum that's actually designed to be different than what's happening in the classroom, but also marry what's happening in the classroom with what's happening in the tutoring space. So this is one of the things that we're really passionate about and we think is going to make a big difference as far as uh, increasing students' proficiency and test scores. So let me kind of just show you what I mean by that. So of, oftentimes we want the teacher to like change the curriculum. And, and I, I would say, let's not do that. Let's make a curriculum that easily adjusts for the student. So let me kind of give you a, a picture of what I mean. So here's a picture of some of the curriculum. And so this is just a picture like nothing brain busting about it, um, but notice the legs are missing. So we can ask a number of different questions. So one of the simplest questions we can ask inside of this is how many total legs are missing? And that's a kindergarten question. But we could also ask the students, can you skip count? And so they could do two plus two plus two plus four plus four. And then now we're talking about second grade skip counting. And then we can say, well, three times two plus two times four. And that would be a third grade expression. And then we can continue this process all the way up to sixth grade till we say, what proportion of the legs that are missing go on ostriches? What proportion of the legs that are missing go on dogs? And so inside of a single visual, we can ask multiple questions and allowing the curriculum, the actual design of the curriculum to allow the student and the teacher to adjust to actually get the intent of the student. So if we see a student touch every single leg, well, we know they rely on a counting mechanism to solve this problem. If we see student just count every ostrich, well, now we know that the student is actually using a skip counting mechanism to solve this. So we can actually gain insights into this way the student interacts. And this is the power of a well-designed curriculum is it actually gives you insights that no computer can give you. As the teacher watches, they gather these, these, these insights. And then what we can do is actually drive them into the strategy we want. So we can actually force them to actually start skip counting. And then we can force them to move into an expression by actually taking away parts of the visual, reducing that scaffolding, and then we can slowly add in symbolic representations. So this is very similar to how you've pretty much learned everything. You add context and then you translate the context into the algorithm until we can move to a fully symbolic place. So this is how every single ST math tutoring session is set up where it starts fully visual and then moves to the symbolic space where the kids are starting to translate these ideas into meaningful math concepts. So this, this is one of the important things. We know we can do this uh, because we've seen it for years. Uh, and I'm gonna just let Yanai kind of talk about what he's seen when this happens in those tutoring sessions with his teachers. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, I think, you know, what, what Dan is, is mentioning is the importance of doing an interactivity within those sessions. So uh, usually these sessions are 30 minutes, three times a week. You want to make sure that not only are the kids excited for it, but they're engaged during those 30 minutes. And what's so great about ST Math um, is that the the puzzles are interactive. The students are able to engage with them on their own. Um, and the sessions are set up uh, so that not only can the students 
work through the puzzles while the teacher is watching them. There could also be a, a discussion around what how Dan just described what happened from visual to symbolic, where the teacher is more leading it. And then you can take that concept and turn it into word problems or solving a problem like this based on what the students are uh, have learned. So each session is unique on itself. It's different and it's interactive. So the students get really engaged and we, you know, our teachers, they see that aha moment when that student gets it for the first time or struggles through something and then needs a little, maybe needs a little bit of support and gets it on their own and is, you know, super excited. Again, it's that aha moment of, hey, I figured this out. I know what to do. And, um, you know, it starts with a, that visual aspect that kids are excited to be doing. They're working in groups with students that, with peers that are on the same level of them. Um, and that makes it really helpful. They're not, they don't feel embarrassed or um, competitive, right? Well, we have like a very intelligent algorithm to make sure that students are paired together in similar, um, in their similar learning level or their math skills. They're matched with the teacher. And so that creates this camaraderie where they, you know, work together to solve the, the problems. There's a dialogue that happens and you're seeing that both in the, uh, on the individual front, as well as from like the entire group, like they're excited for each other when they get, uh, yeah. you know, the answer right. And this is really important. So learning is a doing activity. It is not something you like, you can't listen harder, but you can try harder at something you're doing. And so we have to build curriculum where doing is the primary mechanism. And so since we're talking about doing, I'm going to have uh, B put a link in the chat for you all. And it's a game. So we're going to play a game together. Uh, so if you go to the chat, B just posted a link. Uh, and what I'd love for you to do is actually just start playing through this. And so let's not kind of focus on what's the math here, but I just want you to focus on the experience. How are you figuring out what to do? How are you figuring out what to do? And so as you play this, what you're going to notice is you make a choice and you experience that choice, whether it's a good choice or a bad choice. And so this doing then allows you to start figuring things out and making better and progressively better and better choices until you figure it out. So if you think of it like, as, and again, you just keep playing and I'll talk. So if you think of like uh, basketball, if you want a kid to hate basketball, it's the process is actually quite simple. You have them shoot a basketball and then you cover up their eyes and you say, you made it or you missed it. And they will very quickly dislike basketball because if you've ever been to a basketball game, you've experienced this thing where a kid misses it by just a little bit and everyone goes, oh, you almost made it which is a very nice way of saying you missed it. But if a kid airballs it, the crowd will make fun of that kid the entire game saying airball because they made a bigger error. So there's a degree of error and, and the degree of error dictates the degree of correction. And so as kids start to experience the degree of error, 
they start to iterate on their choices. And as they do, they start having these really meaningful experiences. And so this is what we're after. Can we get kids to do things, giving them feedback, and then as an instructor, I watch and I comment and I direct. And, and then I give that same feedback back to the classroom teacher. This is really what we're after. Uh, and it, it's kind of what I consider the gold standard of learning. Lots of doing and then some directing by, by a teacher who has a deep, meaningful relationship. So kind of going back here. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about, so since we're running, we're running short on time because we want to give some Q&A space. So I'm going to kind of talk very quickly about this idea of learning integration. So, um, and then I'm going to kind of let you and I talk about his experience. So generally what we want to talk about is like, oh, there's tutoring and you could do tutoring at any time. And that's true. But most effective would be, or, or one step better would be tutoring during a school adjacent time, before school or after school. When we know we have the kids in the building or like somewhere close where we, we have them in attendance. But then the even better would be for the schools and the districts to actually carve out time for tutoring during the school day. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about your experience? Because you guys have taught thousands of lessons on like what, when students are more likely to show up and why they show up. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. It comes down to attendance and right the, we know we know that tutoring works so we want as many students to show up as possible uh, and that usually happens during the school day or in an after school program or support program maybe after uh the school day or, or during the summer um you know it we have run plenty of home programs and a lot of districts have required actually the tutoring to occur at home because they want to uh, increase the amount of time that kids are learning. I think the issue there is you need to get uh, the parent really involved and you need to make sure that they're bought in on tutoring, but you know they also might have to take their kid to the dentist or they have uh, you know something going on in their lives and they're not able to uh, be in front of the student. Um, so when we've seen the most success is during the school day, or before and after where there is somebody else within the physical classroom that can just walk around, make sure students are engaged, make sure everybody has their headphones or whatever is necessary. They're able to log in. You know, there's no technical difficulties, um, but, you know, there are, sometimes there are snow days. And so you have to uh, think on the fly and do things at home. So we've, you know, obviously are able to implement that and prepare share those reminders that we have for uh, the students and the teachers that you have a class coming up. We can do that with the parents as well. But um, in terms of just making sure the most uh, students are there and engaged, have the right technology, um, you know, it's pretty uh, significant difference when it's within a school building. And kind of lastly, this, so this was, I feel like, a really great synopsis given by the National Student Support Accelerator of what, what good tutoring is and what it is not. Um, so you obviously, we've talked about this. We want a consistent tutor. We want the same tutor with the same students for the duration of the tutoring experience. Um, 
we also want that because we want to drive relationship. Um, and, you know, every good relationship allows the student to feel more and more comfortable struggling meaningfully. So I always tell people, you know, you ask, you ask the question, like, what's the difference between struggle and productive struggle? And the only difference is the story that the kid is telling themselves. Well, sometimes they need an adult to help tell a different story. I can do this. Well, I can do this allows a kid to struggle longer. And, and that struggle then is inevitably going to be productive as a result. Um, so then data informs instruction, not homework and help. So this is where we would say, yeah, we want to have like a, a tutoring curriculum that's very closely paired with what's happening in the classroom. And then uh, focused on acceleration, not remediation, regular scheduled in a minimum of three times a week. So again, this means that the districts have to make a commitment to do this and do it well. Um, and then it needs to be accessible for all students. And this is where, again, the curriculum can be designed where every student can access. Regardless of your grade level, you have the ability to access grade level material if the curriculum is designed well. Um, for curriculums that not design well, that makes it very difficult. If it's very heavy uh, linguistically, if there's a lot of reading, that obviously is going to preclude some students from actually getting to the curriculum. So we really want to build curriculum that's designed for all students, not a subset, and then build another curriculum for another subset of students. We can make curriculum that's designed for all students. So we're going to pause and look at the, the questions and see if we can't answer some of them. All righty, let's take a look. There are a couple really great questions in here. So one of the first ones that came in um, was from a tutor coordinator uh, for their school district. Um, they're wanting to know, they're, they're fully on board that they need high impact tutoring, but they're wanting to know how do they get principals and admin in the district to get on board with this? You introduce them to Dan. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that, that that's a like an overarching problem, like, you know, because the principals feel this deep impetus to get what they're doing done and they don't want to add another thing. And so I think the first thing is realizing, like, this isn't another thing. This is an enhancement. And so how do we get well, I, I'll tell you, in Tennessee, they're trying to redesign the day to make sure that this is part of it. So it is a pretty big lift if they think, okay, I've got to find a way to insert this. But if as they move into this new school year, they're like, okay, well, how do I design my day where this is just part of the day? So I think the, the starting point is, can you get a principal to redesign what the day and the life of their school looks like? And if that's a if they're willing to have that conversation, then great. Uh, the other thing is, uh, we there's an impetus to change. Only a third of students leave high school proficient in math, and proficiency is actually a low bar. So we have to change something. We cannot continue to do the same thing. So there's there is like this inspirational part to get them to buy in, um, but I think. This is a great time. You know, you're you're entering in a new school year. And so there's this actually this mechanism where oh, it's a new school year. We could actually try to shift things around. So I think kind of engaging them in the conversation is is the, the start of it. And then bringing people in that are experts. And, and there's no shame in that. There's actually people that are very 
profound experts at what tutoring looks like and have seen it done in many different models. And so bringing in people to actually have those conversations is very, very meaningful. Yeah. And I would just add, you know, I think if you're trying to advocate for this, I would also suggest trying a pilot, you know, trying something small with a few students, maybe those students that haven't responded to other, um, other engagements before. And I think, you know, you will see um, really great results and hopefully that can spur further, you know, using, uh, providing tutoring for more students. Thank you guys. There was also a question, and Dan, this one may be for you as well, um, around the data. So what data do you have that your tutoring, this tutoring with our company is uh, more objectively effective than other programs? And what measures do we use for that? So that is a great question. So one of the things that we do as a research institute is we are incredibly transparent with our data and our effectiveness. So what we know, uh, because we have years and years of data and we constantly are producing it out so everyone can see it, is one, we're only going to look at large subsets of students because you know, if we're going to look at effective change, like it's got to work for every kid. So when we do studies, we only look at a, like a thousand and most of our studies are well over 10,000 students. Uh, we're only going to look at state standardized tests. Is there a market improvement of students who participate in these kind of activities with what's happening at the state level? Because that's how administrators are judged. You're not judged if Susie Q grows. You're judged, did the entire grade band grow and did your school grow? So that's how we're going to look at data. And so our data is really clear. When students engage with ST Math, they perform significantly better than their peers on these tests. Uh, we use a quasi-experimental model so we can actually replicate it very fast and, and actually demonstrate these results all over the nation. Um, and so that those are kind of the ways we're looking at it. Um, I would encourage you to go jump on our site and you'll be able to see some of that. And it's pretty encouraging, especially the, the size of the data sets. Yeah, we love questions about data. That is right up our field. We we could talk to you about data all day long. Um, so uh, uh, the next question here is, um, how do you gauge when a student no longer needs tutoring? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a strong uh question. I think, you know, one thing is definitely that feedback, that qualitative feedback of seeing uh, whether the student, you know, is up to grade level, is up to, you know, above a proficiency level, making sure they understand. I think it also comes down a little bit to um, the district or school's finances. You want to make sure that they are prioritizing those students that need the tutoring as much as possible. And so if there's limited budget and they have to, you know, you want to make sure that they're prioritizing certain students. Otherwise, you know, I think that we've seen there's success in all, in all for all students, whether they're um, at grade level below or above. Um, and so, um, you know, we don't really suggest that students move out of tutoring, but how do we support them on their further growth? 
Thank you guys. So um, this one's a really interesting question because it is, you know, about the, the STMath approach. Um, you know, they're asking, um, since STMath is essentially built around the idea using the concept of productive struggle, um, does the introduction of a tutor, tutor compromise that a bit? Hmm. That's a great question. Actually, that's like such a unique question and I'm glad you're asking it. So the idea uh, of STMath is kids are gonna struggle, they're gonna like iterate through these choices. So what happens with the student inside of their mind when they're doing this is they, they, they get something wrong, they see the feedback, they make a new prediction. And then as they make that new prediction, they, they cycle back through that exact same process again and again and again. Well, add a teacher and what we can do is as they watch the student and they actually see the student's intent and they say, oh, I see how you're approaching this problem. So they can actually see it because they watch how the student mouses, they see the choices they make. And what they can do is actually accelerate that iterative process for the student. So the teacher can ask very specific questions like, I noticed you did this, can you tell me why? And so as the student verbalizes that, the student starts to realize like, oh, that was actually a bad prediction. Let me try this new prediction. So we're not saying that the teacher tells the student how to play the games. What we're saying is the teacher now can actually have deeper insight because they can watch just three students as they play and say, oh, I see what this student's doing and I'm going to get them to make a different prediction. So the, the idea is to actually just accelerate that process rather than to just let the student iterate by themselves. Because there are students who take a little bit longer to iterate. And so we can actually speed that up by a, an adult intimately watching and asking meaningful questions. Yeah, and I think it's a great question because you brought up productive struggle. And what we're trying, what, what our teachers are trying to do is make sure that there is that um, awareness of what's productive struggle and what you know, somebody is really struggling with and they need support. And you don't want to get them to that point where they're um, you know, getting frustrated. And how many people do we know that say, I hate math, right? Or I'm not a math person, but maybe they do need that, that coaching, that positive feedback that takes them, you know, makes it a little bit more positive for them, helps them get over that hurdle. And so they're able to you know, have that aha moment and get to the positive struggle and not a negative struggle. Um, and Dan, I, I, I don't know if we have more questions, but it might be helpful for us to show that video quickly. Of yeah, yeah that's actually great. That was, that was our last question, yes. All right, what else do we see? What do we think we need to do? Kira. Um, I see pairs. You see pairs. Yes. I see pairs too. I see so many pairs. What do you think we need to do? So we see pairs and we see monsters. What do we think? What do we think? So Gigi's gone to his next step. He has to think. I saw Melinda's hand. What do we think we need to do? Um, the monster needs to eat the pears. Okay, I bet the monsters are hungry. That's very good. 
Now, let me check on LJ. How are we doing here, my friend? How many pairs does he need? Uh, five? You think five? Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's give this monster five pairs. Hmm. Oh. oh. What did that show us, LJ? Two. Oh, two. Now, why do we think the monster only needs two? What is this little clue we see over here? You see that? How many pairs is this monster eating? Two. Good job. Okay, so should we feed this monster too and see what happens? might be our clue. Go ahead and give it a try. Dun da da da! Nice work! Okay, now, oh, I like what you're doing. Counting those apples and your monsters. Nice work, LJ. Keep up the good work. All right, Kira. Oh, my favorite fruit. What is it? Oh, good job, my friend. You counted by tens. We've got LJ counted by twos. So we're skip counting, right? Now, how is this problem sort of like skip counting? What could we count by? Kira. Five. We can count by fives. Who can count by fives? Everybody want to do it with me? You can all do it together. Ready? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. Nice. Good job. Okay, so let's think about this. If we're counting by fives and our case has three rows in it. How many cars can it hold? Oh, LJ, you did it! Yeah, I think, uh, right, I think you, you can see there that the difference between that productive struggle and when a student, and, and allowing the student to really discover on their own and do what they were going to do and the teacher is helping them get there and then helping um you know them get to the next level and so um you know i think that's a wonderful example of how we our teachers interact with the students make it um specific for their learning help them understand the problem at hand but in a group setting so it really helps everybody and I think, you know, what we discussed earlier is you saw that there were three different approaches there. There was the classroom discussion that was more teacher-led. Then you had the uh, student-led where the teacher is looking at their screens and jumping in and providing um, support there. And then you saw that being brought to a word problem at the end. And that's what I think is so wonderful about this partnership is you bring 
the best of the VIP teacher network alongside, you know, this amazing, engaging curriculum. Thank you guys so much. I love ending on the note of showing that video with monsters and pears and race cars. Um, it helped me learn how to count. I, I would definitely be a lot more engaged uh, if there were, you know, cool things like that, and that productive struggle. Uh, thank you guys so much. Here is the information for Yanai and Dan. Uh, tag them on social media if you have a cool aha moment um, or you want to, you know, brag on your certificates and your learning. Um, and we thank you all for coming. And thank you again, Yanai and Dan. Yeah, thank you, everyone. We, this was a lot of fun. So really enjoyed it. And um, looking forward to continuing the conversation with anybody who would want to on uh, Twitter or LinkedIn. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.